This podcast is brought to you by the Islamic Center at NYU. For more information, visit our website at www.icnyu.org. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Uh, thank you for being here with us this evening. My name is Amira Shuman. I'm one of the staff members at the Islamic Center. Um, we're really excited uh, to have our IC uh, staff talk today about the sweetness of service. Um, and we will go ahead and get started with a Quran recitation um, from NYU student Ben Bayer. Assalamu alaikum wa everyone. I will be reciting Surat Abduha today. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wadduha walayli isa saja ma wada akka khabuka wama kholaha. Thank you so much, Ben. We really appreciate you. Um, and now we will have Sheikh Fayaz who will share remarks on service and spiritual justice. Thank you. Thank you, Amir. A'udhu billahi minash shaytan rajim Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. وبه نستعين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا والشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين. Thank you all for joining us again this evening in our series of conversations on how we can attain contentment and sweetness in our obedience and worship to Allah سبحانه وتعالى during the course of these nights and days in the holy month of Ramadan. We reflected on a lot of different themes in regards to God's remembrance, in regards to reflecting and contemplating upon the Quran. And today, the theme of our conversation is in terms of how we can attain a sense of sweetness in service, a sweetness in giving, a sweetness in being at the support of those who need it. And oftentimes when we think about sort of the most pleasurable things in life, the way that we often think about things is that the most pleasurable things are that which we experience as individuals. So for instance, the first bite of food that I eat when I break my fast at the time of iftar, or just food in general, how it's something pleasurable to the human being, that it brings us a sense of joy and it brings us a sense of happiness. Or when you get something, we get something tangible, we get a gift, for instance, we get money, whatever it might be, we feel happy, we feel content, at all of those different experiences during the course of our lives. I remember reading a couple of years ago an article, if I'm not mistaken, it was either in Time or Newsweek magazine, which talked about this mechanism that was created by some psychologists, by some scientists, in terms of them measuring happiness in the brain of the human being. And they determined that the most or there was more triggers for happiness in the brain of a human being, forgive my lack of neurological terminology here, but there was more activity in the brain taking place when someone gave to others, more so when they received. So for instance, when someone received a gift, naturally you become happy. When someone gives you a compliment, you become happy. But on the flip side, they actually determined that someone was more happy when they saw happiness on someone else's face after they gave out of themselves. That's something really beautiful. And think about it. As a child, you get excited when you get a lot of gifts. But as a parent, when you give something to your child and you see the happiness on their face, well, that's just worth it tenfold in comparison with us receiving anything. Because when we have a a sense of really intense love for others. And when we see happiness on their faces, we see them in a state of pleasure. After we have given, we feel good about what it is that we did in terms of a deed. Because when we talk about these ayat of the whole Quran, traditions of the Prophet and his family, 
For instance, that tell us, that you will never you will never attain righteousness until you give out of that which you love the most. It's not only limited toward giving out of our wealth, but giving out of our time, giving out of our space, giving out of ourselves. Another verse in the Quran whereby Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says in Surah Al-Hadid, verse number 11, مَن ذَا الَّذِي يُقْرِضُ اللَّهُ مَن ذَا الَّذِي يُقْرِضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا فَيُضَائِفَهُ لَهُ وَلَهُ أَجْرٌ كَرِيمٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Who is it that will offer God a loan? Meaning that the wealth that we give, at the end of the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that it's a loan that we are offering and giving to Him. But in reality, what is it except for a gift that God has given us? It's all temporary, isn't it? And that when you give out of yourself, when you give out of your wealth, when you give in the name of service to others, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will increase you in what it is that you gave. And he will increase you in the reward that you receive as well. I liken it to this example. That if, for instance, your mother told you to go and clean your room when you were a kid. Your parents told you, go and clean your room. And you went and you clean your room and then you went back to your parents and say, now I, you, you should give me $20 for cleaning my room. How does that make any sense? Does it make any sense because you've just fulfilled your obligation to your parents? You fulfill your obligation to yourself. You fulfill your obligation to your house. And nidafatum min al-iman. Cleanliness is a part of faith. Or if you fulfill all of the job requirements, all of the tasks that you signed up for when you took on any particular role, any particular job, you can't go to your boss thereafter and say, now I want a raise of 15% because I've checked off all of these boxes. No, you only get a raise when you do more and you go above and beyond that which you have been assigned to do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it an obligation for us to give out of our wealth, to give out of our time to give out of ourselves to others. It's an intrinsic responsibility. It's what it means to being part of a community. It's what it means to being a human being. But God is all merciful and he's all generous and he's all compassionate. So what he says in this verse is, who is the one who will give? And not only I'm expecting that giving from your side, but I will increase you. You gave out of your wealth, I'll increase your wealth. You give out of your time, I'll increase your time. And with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is a generous reward. So in addition to that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala adds an extra layer of reward for us. Going back to that same point that I mentioned earlier, I'll try to wrap it up and conclude, inshallah. When someone measures happiness and states that it's actually of higher value or of greater merit for the one who gives than the one who receives. Think about the most beloved of all creations. Take a look at the world today. Who do people love? Who do people love, for instance, more than Nabiullah Isa alayhi salam, Prophet Jesus? Nobody loves Jesus. Maybe he's the most loved person in the entire world. Muslims love him. Christians love him. Even, you know, non-theists love him. You take a look at the life of Jesus, you see that one day he's in the company of his disciples, as we find within the traditions of the Prophet and his family. And he began to actually wash the feet of his disciples. And they look toward him and they say, oh, spirit of God, what are you doing? You are God's divine representative on earth. You're his prophet. You're his messenger. Why are you doing this? We should be serving you in this way. He says, I'm doing this to humble myself in front of my creator. And I'm doing this so that you remember to be humble. This idea of altruism, this idea of giving, this idea of humility. Why do people love Jesus, alayhi salam, except for the fact that he gave out of himself? Which is why he's so beloved. Why do we love the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam? Because in the darkness of the night, when everyone else was sleeping, he would spend a night or a portion of the night in prayer and in obedience to the Lord of the worlds. And the other portion of the night, he would go and distribute food to the widows and to the orphans and to the homeless in the city of Medina. 
and he would give out of himself and serve them in that way. And there was a sense of pleasure that was founded by means of that ritual. Amongst the most important early historical personalities within Islamic traditions, also the fourth Shi'i Imam, Ali ibn Hussein Zain al-Abideen, the son of Hussein, the great grandson of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his title is Zain al-Abideen, the adornment of the worshippers. He was known for his obedience. He was known for his devotion. He was known for his prayers in the darkness of the night, known for his supplication. He has a prayer manual known as As-Sahifat al-Sajadiyah, which consists of four, 54 different du'as and supplications, which we can also take toward knowing and understanding and gaining ma'rifah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And although he was known for his obedience and worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the darkness of the night, and that's what was you know, his claim to fame, so to say, when he died and was killed at the hands of the Umayyad authorities, there was an increase in the number of homeless in the city of Medina. Furthermore, when his son, Muhammad al-Baqir, was also the fifth Shi'i imam, he performs the ghusl on the body of his father prior to burial. He says that I saw on the back of my father bruises that could only be a testament to the fact that in the darkness of the night, he was carrying wheat and barley and distributing it to the poor of Medina. His worship and his devotion and his relationship with God gives him the inspiration to make those differences socially in his community and gives him that inspiration again to be that difference maker. During these nights in the holy month of Ramadan, especially in these nights, these last final nights, as we're a week away, from the conclusion of the sacred month. The idea is that our relationship, our devotion, our fasting during the day, our recitation of the Quran, our prayers during the night are supposed to transform these hearts and give us that sense of motivation to not only build out an individual relationship between us and the creator, but in addition to that, understanding our responsibilities to the creation as well. So like you know, our center during the course of this holy month has been raising funds for numerous different campaigns, including the support of those who have food shortage issues here in New York City in light of the pandemic, those who have been dealing with homelessness and inability to pay their rent. These are parents uh, who look at their children every morning as they set off to school and they don't know if they're going to be able to have food to feed them at the end of the eve. That's how real that our challenges are in our community. And what's been so incredible is to see the service, this giving, this altruism that has emanated and manifested from all of us over the course of this past year plus, where we've raised millions of dollars, multiple million dollars, three, four million dollars, over the course of these last 14 months or so in support of those who are the most vulnerable. So make sure that you amplify your blessings during the course of these nights and let us be amongst those who find pleasure in giving because it will bring us pleasure in this world and undoubtedly in the next one as well. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq and to give us the ability to be those agents for change that this world so desperately needs. والحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين. Thank you, Sheikh Fayaz. Um, as Sheikh Fayaz mentioned, we are um, collecting funds uh, to help people right now who are suffering in terms of needing, uh, you know, financial relief. And right now, alhamdulillah, we have two times the match. Um, up to $75,000 for our Ramadan Relief Emergency Support Fund. Um, and this only goes for the next 36 hours. So please, if you haven't donated, please do donate. Um, the link is in the chat box here. Uh, if you've already donated, please donate again. Um, you know, this is a really incredible opportunity to have your donation matched. And again, you know, there are people um, who are in desperate need of this, uh, 
this relief. So please do give what you're able to give. And next um, we will have Sheikh Sahib who will discuss the best people. Thank you so much. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barik ala Sayyidil Awaleen wa al-Akhirin Sayyidina wa Mawlana wa Habibina Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tajihiyatina wa nuri abasarina wa jalai athamina Allahumma salli wa barik wa sallam alayhi fil awali wa fil akhiri wa fil mali al-a'la ya Rabbil Alameen Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Hope everybody is doing amazing MashaAllah it's that time of the year it is the season of the ibad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, mashallah, as Sheikh Fayaz was saying, this is a great opportunity to match donations. So I, I again want to reiterate how important that is and super encourage each and every one of you um, to support generously, inshallah ta'ala. Who is the best person? You know, there are numerous narrations where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would say, the best person is such and such. The best person is such and such. The best person is such and such. But one of the narrations that really sticks out is that the best person is the one who repents, who turns back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember uh, some years ago, I was uh, traveling and I stopped at the stoplight and the brother that I was with, his window was down and there was this car next to us. And suddenly I heard um, these lyrics, you know, that, that kind of like unsettled me, you know, like um, sort of rocked me into a weird place. I, I, I was listening to this brother trying to talk to me and then there's, you know, these lyrics and the lyrics are saying, I am a sinner who's probably going to sin again. Lord, forgive me. I remember it. For a minute, I thought I was back in church, you know, and it, it kept it kept saying it a few times. I am a sinner who's probably going to sin again. Lord, forgive me. So, you know, my mind said, who's this person? And then I realized it was like a it was a it was a rap song. Um, so I contacted, you know, my my one of my children, because your children are always a gateway. When you get old, you got dad jokes, but your children are kind of a gateway into what's happening. And my, my, my son told me that's Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar has a song. And the song, he says, I'm a sinner who's probably going to sin again. Lord, forgive me. And that resonated with me because I thought about that in light of who is the best person. That the Prophet Wasallam said that we will sin. Everybody will sin. And the best sinners are those who repent. And the hadith that we actually learned from one of our mashaykh when we were reading hadith to them is the hadith in Bukhari. Where the Prophet وسلم, says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a person who sins and they repent. And Allah says to the angels, ila abdi, look at my servant who believes in me and has repented. I forgive this person. And then the person, you know, people are people. And without necessarily being deliberate, but more so out of weakness, right? There's a difference between premeditated evil and succumbing to the vices that just come packed into the bundle of being Bano Adam. So slipping is part of life. And the hadith says that the person will slip and repent again. And every time Allah will say, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. So when we read this hadith to our teachers, by the way, with Isnad, uh, they actually don't stop reading it until you say to the sheikh, sheikh, like you're reading beyond what's in the, in the wording. Like it's like only mentioned like five or six times. But you keep saying, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. The Shaykh, he said, rahmatullah. Like this is the rahmah of Allah. The reason that we don't stop reading it until you stop is that Allah's mercy will not stop until you stop repenting. Subhanallah. So who's the best person? The best person is the one who's moved by guilt to a sense of responsibility. The best person is the one who is moved by a sense of instability in their heart, in their relationship with Allah, that the only place they can flee is to Allah. Because the only place we can really find balance as Muslims, at least temporarily in the dunya, is with Tawbah and permanently in Jannah. 
We have an incredible example of this. A person who lived a life of vice and evil. Because Imam al-Ghazali, as we're reading on Tuesday nights, inshallah, we'll start in a few weeks again. Imam al-Ghazali says that the second obstacle on the path of Sirat al-Mustaqeen is the obstacle of repentance. And he said, how many people sit at this obstacle and fail because they said, I am a sinner who's probably going to sin again, and my Lord will not forgive me. So the person is overcome by their own lack of self-worth and self-esteem. That's why I like to tell people to repent. You have to be confident. It sounds strange, right? Those are two very opposite things. To repent, you have to be confident, meaning you have to be more confident in Allah than you are confident in your own insecurities. Abu Nawas was a person, subhanAllah, who lived a life of incredible vice. He lived during the time of the Abbasi Empire, which we know was going through tremendous turmoil and upheaval and instability. And actually he wrote and we studied his poems in the Azhar because he's so eloquent. He wrote what are called al-Khumuriyat, the poems that praise wine. And he would, you know, openly, openly, just like flagrantly extol the virtues of drink and vice and evil. Even has erotica. He wrote poems about like erotic things. But subhanAllah, he had a number of friends growing up who became ulama, mashaykh, salihin, awliya, arifin billah. And what's interesting is they never canceled him. They never canceled him. Islam believes in the redeemable value of people if they repent. Allah says in Surah Al-Furqan, after mentioning a litany, of egregious crimes that these people are going to go to hell except for those who repent and reform their lives and believe. At the forefront of any Islamic social justice movement has to be the idea of the potential of redemption. If they repent, they are your brothers and sisters in religion. So Abu Nawas, he repents. And he has written a number of poems that encapsulate his feelings as someone who turns back to Allah. And I know that a lot of us towards the end of Ramadan start to get overcome by even more guilt. Like I wasn't able to worship the way I wanted to. I wasn't able to fulfill some of the things that I set out for myself. And then I even find some people who say, I'm doing worship, but my worship isn't as good as this worship. We should avoid that. And we should own it by repentance. And that's the best person. I'm going to read to you a few of the lines that Abu Nawas, he wrote, which is known as his famous lines of repentance. The first one, he says, Rabbi, qad azumat dhunubi kathratan. Starts the poem by saying, Oh Allah, I know that my sins are abundant, but I am certain that your mercy is greater. Oh Allah, I know I am not of the people of Firdaus the highest level of Jannah, but I cannot handle the fire of hell. So give me the gift of Tawbah. Grant me the gift of repentance. The Prophet said, the person who repents from a sin, is the person who has no sin. So grant me the gift, bestow upon me the blessing of repentance and 
forgive me of my sins, because indeed you are the one who forgives great sins. My, my sins are like sand, like the grains of sand. So give me repentance, O oh, mighty transcendent Lord. And every day, my lifespan is decreasing. And my sins are increasing. So my, my age is decreasing, but my sins are increasing. Oh, my, my God, Allah, the, 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 the disobedient servant has approached you. Admitting his sins and supplicating to you. If you don't forgive me, if you forgive me, that's your business. That's who you are. You are Al Ghaffar. You are Al Tawab. If you forgive me, you are the one who, as the Prophet would say, you're the only one who can forgive. And if you don't forgive, then who will we have any hope in? Oh Allah, do not punish me because indeed I admit my evil, which is minni, which came from me. And I have nothing to protect me now except my hope in you. If you forgive me and, I, and, and allow me to maintain this good suspicion of you. So subhanAllah, we talk about the best person. And sometimes we think about the best person as the one who doesn't feel any guilt. But as we see here from the story, of Sayyidina Abi Nawas, radiallahu anhu, that there's always an opportunity to come back to Allah. As I finished, the Prophet said that the believer is like a horse who escapes and one day comes back to its master. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have lana insha'Allah tawbatan nasuha barakahu khairan wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa sallam alaikum wa rahmatullah. Thank you, Sheikh. Uh, now Imam Khalid will reflect on achieving goodness through service. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Bismillah. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We thank him, we praise him, we glorify him. Beseech him to send his choicest salutations upon his most beloved sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam and upon all those who choose to tread in his path until the last day. You know, building upon what Sheikh Sahib was talking about, Nizakallah khair, Ramadan infuses within so much of its practices and rituals the idea of being a means through which one can attain taqwa. And the relationship between taqwa and tawbah are important to understand because taqwa essentially becomes the mechanism and vehicle through which one has awareness of what it is that surrounds them and what is it that they're about to literally fall into. And so if taqwa is the vehicle that is telling us that, hey, you're about to fall into the hole, Tawbah becomes the mechanism that Allah gave to us that says, this is how you get out of the hole once you've fallen into it. And it's from the ni'mah, the, uh, the, the bounties, the blessings that we have from Allah. It's from the mercy of Allah. But it also gives us an acknowledgement that we have capacity to be those who can make mistakes as well as those who can be simultaneously agents of real goodness and beauty. 
And to understand now the balance that goes through and where we might oscillate between both, but it's not that we are just absolutely one or the other. And if anything, the default of us, our fitri state, is that we were created in the most beautiful of forms, the Quran says. And what Ramadan affords for us now is that opportunity that says that with a growth mindset, I can acknowledge that I have areas to improve, but also embrace what it is that I have to be a real source of light and a source of change. And the increase now of goodness through service becoming this means that understands that these words, Islam, Iman, Ihsan, Grammatically, they're gerunds, they're verbal nouns. They're about doing things actively. You are living Islam. You are living Iman. You are living Ihsan. They have a mode built into it from its actual literal meaning that you will do something as a result of your practice of it. And that's really where it is that we're in the world right now. And to not undermine our individual roles in inculcating some of this. When I was thinking about some of what I wanted to say here, I remembered over the course of the pandemic, you know, I've learned so much from my children, my son and my daughter, just about spirituality and human condition. May Allah bless them and bless all of our children and make things easy for those who are trying to have children, as well as those who are not able to have children. May Allah bless all of us, those who have lost their children. May Allah make it easy for all of us. And in looking at my kids, I can see they're, you know, masoom, they're innocent, they're young children, where their humanness can come up sometimes, but also where there's aspiration to remember sometimes the children that exist within us. And a year ago, New York City was so different Everything was in a place of a lot of trauma and illness and death, at least where I was living in Manhattan, surrounded by hospitals. And I remember going into the summer where the bus system was free and they opened up playgrounds in New York City. And my kids and I, we started to just take the bus wherever we could. And we were quite often the only people at the playgrounds that we went to. And then slowly people started to come and there started to be more children and more families. And I remember one day where in the summer it was about 90 degrees outside. And my daughter Medina, who many of you know, she loves to swing. And despite it being so hot outside, she stood in line for a swing for probably about 20 minutes or so. And her brother Kareem, at that time, he was still small enough to fit in a swing made for younger kids that Medina could no longer fit in. So I pushed him in the swing while she waited for her turn. And for those of you who have met Medina, you know that she has a lot of light and a lot of laughter in her, mashallah. And if you've ever seen her get on a swing, the excitement just literally soars. It seems like it's just an energy that's unlike anything. I can still remember it because I still take her to the playground and she's got a face mask on and she's so happy on that swing that you can see her smiling through that face mask. And that smile, it just becomes contagious. And where her happiness is apparent, she, on that day that I'm remembering, after waiting for 20 minutes, got onto her swing and was going so high. And she said to me that, Baba, Today, I'm going to touch the trees. And then a little while later, there was other sounds that you started to hear that we never really hear too often when we're at the swings at the playground. There was a young boy who was now standing that had two protective casts on his arms. And he came to where we were and he began to cry because the dozen or so swings that were there, they were all being used. He wasn't being a brat or being spoiled or anything like that. You could see that this was 
a child who was just really sad. He wanted to get on the swings. And it was also clear that he had some special needs. And all of a sudden, while I was poking, uh, pushing my child, my son Kareem, I felt a poking on me. And I turned and I saw my baby girl standing next to me and her empty swing was still moving back and forth from the few moments that she had sat on it. And I asked her if everything was okay. And she said to me, Baba, is it okay if that boy takes my turn? And I held back some tears and I said to her, are you sure, baby? You waited for so long and you might not get another chance for a while. Look at how long the line is. And she replied and she said, it's okay, Baba. I just really wanna help you push Kareem. And so I said, if you want him to have your turn, Jenny, my baby, my life, if you want him to have your turn, then you need to go and give it to him yourself. And it made me think of the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that said that do not regard any good deed as insignificant, even meeting your brother or sister with a cheerful face. And so my daughter Medina, she did as I asked and the young boy, he jumped up and his nanny poured out a lot of gratitude. And my son who was watching his big sister this whole time, he turned to me and he said that Didi did a good job, right Baba? Didi meaning big sister in Hindi. And I said, yes, Kareem, she did, mashallah. And then the best part was that Medina started to push Kareem in his swing and she never mentioned it again. Didn't even think twice about it. I want you to think in these last nights of Ramadan what it means to be a good person. Goodness is quite often equated within religious experience that, mashallah, look at how much someone prays or how much they do of this ritual or that. And I'm not undermining that. But there's a certain goodness that's rooted within our tradition around principles of just genuine love, compassion, kindness, concern. That necessitate a recognition of your own ability to be an agent of real beauty. And there's no shortage of moments to really go out and do things that are good. And I don't know about you, but even me just recounting this story that happened months ago brings me back to a place of warmth. And I sat there and watched it happen. And I can imagine some of you are moved at envisioning it. And that's what goodness has the ability to do. That's what real beauty has the ability to do. It makes itself now something that consequently yields more of it. And it creates a different kind of energy. These last nights of Ramadan, as you stand into the night and you remember all those that the world has forgotten, you make special du'a for our sisters and brothers who are in need, who are waiting for someone to just see them and recognize who they are. Include within your du'as a request of the divine to make you and I, individually as well as this community, a continued means through which Allah feeds his creation, clothes his creation, gives shelter to his creation, as well as the means through which Allah is generous to his creation, gives hope to his creation, empowers and gives strength to his creation, brings healing to his creation, loves his creation. And ensure that the transformative nature of this month is something that you bear continuity of because you take everything that your heart is drawing through these blessed nights and then you bear concreteness of it within your existence, inward existence, by doing the deeds that are good and right to do as a way to make them a regular part of you. Don't let any of these days and nights of the rest of this month be something that end upon you without you being a source of benefit for someone else. And your service, rooted in kindness and compassion, has to understand that a part of being kind to others 
is about being kind to yourself as well. And so strive to see yourself the way that Allah sees you and recognize your own capacity of being a means of real hope and benefit for God's creation. Where you can support some of the campaigns that we are running, we just announced that, mashallah, a generous donor in our community is matching up to $75,000 in matching gifts made to our relief fund at launchgood.com slash ICNYU Ramadan Relief. Uh, Hannah, I don't know if you could throw that in the chat box for people, the relief fund, launchgood.com ICNYU Ramadan Relief. If you are able to contribute from now until the end of Juma tomorrow, it's going to be matched two to one up to $75,000. And everything that's from that is being dispersed to local families in need. We've already, alhamdulillah, been able to contribute about 117 checks to households, 117 unique checks that have assisted, I believe, 347 individuals. And we're hoping to help as many people as we can. And so continue to give there, give to others, but also just give of your time and give of your resources in other ways as well. And where you can contribute to our Islamic Center at icnyu.org donate. All of our events and services are run completely off of the community support. So inshallah ta'ala, whatever you can give, we'd appreciate it. If you have to choose to what you give, then give to the charity cause, give to the humanitarian effort, give to what we're running to support survivors, give to what we're running to support those who have food insecurity, they are facing eviction and homelessness, give to the COVID crisis in India, give to anything else if you have to make a choice, but make sure you're giving. And then spend time in your days in service of Allah's creation, because it just takes a little bit of light to push away darkness, and the first step is recognizing our own capacity to be a source of illumination. And I pray that inshallah ta'ala, Allah makes these nights a means through which you and I recognize our own ability to do good. And then we go out and get it done. No one can benefit from the good that you do not do. No one can benefit from the beauty that you don't share. So go out and light up the world with your own light. Inshallah ta'ala, it'll be a means of benefit for you and all of us. Wallahu ta'ala alam wa billahi tawfiq. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu. Thank you, Imam Khalid. Um, and now Sheikh Aisha will talk to us about how Islam is never selfish and how spreading light and love um, allows us to build light and love within. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. I, I just want to thank all of my colleagues before me for just such uh, remarkable words, subhanAllah, as well as just uh, touching our hearts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless Medina forever to always have a spirit uh, of giving, a heart that is generous. May Allah preserve her. So, you know, subhanAllah, uh, our beloved Muhammad Ali, he said that service to others is the rent that we pay for our space here on earth. And every time I think about uh, this, subhanAllah, there's so many things about Muhammad Ali that for all of us was so impacting. Like no matter where you were in the world, you could you know the name Muhammad Ali. Like everybody knows the name Muhammad Ali. And I mention him because there's so many things that, um, you know, that he gave to us that were, that were in service, honestly. Everything from his smile to his little funny small poems that he would recite, right? That would always give us like this kind of, you know, uh, like punch of, of confidence ourselves uh, at the same time, not taking ourselves too seriously um, while this man would just like give straight unapologetic dawah on you know national and sometimes international television and just so many lessons that we can take from him but there's one particular story about muhammad ali Allah that sticks out in my mind and it actually happened sometime around the time that his funeral was going on and i, I can't remember exactly um oh i remember subhanallah uh it was at ris and long story short someone was telling a story about how 
one day he was driving or he was with someone who was driving and he saw a group of people, uh, particularly some elder people standing outside. And there was like this huge kind of, uh, you know, like a, a, a ruckus, a commotion going on. And so, you know, this ruckus, this commotion was going on and he realized that, you know, there were so many elderly people. So then he asked, like, let's find out what's going on. Let's find out, like, what's the situation? So it turned out that the situation was this particular nursing home that was a Jewish nursing home uh, that they basically were closing because they didn't have the money to keep it open. And so these were the families trying to basically, you know, figure out what were they going to do with their loved ones in order to continue to take care of them. Uh, because, you know, this was the nursing home that, you know, they had become accustomed to and loved and, and many other things. And they just, he said, well, what's the problem? Like, why are they closing? And they said, well, uh, they're closing because they don't have enough money. Like, basically, they need to shut it down. And so as he looked at the scene, uh, the person that he was with says that basically, long story short, he wrote a check for $300,000 and gave it uh, anonymously to this Jewish nursing home. What I love about this particular story is that the level of selflessness is so apparent and in your face in this moment because it's not like, for example, he said, well, you know, maybe if they become Muslim, then I will give them. Maybe then they will deserve. He didn't say, well, maybe if they were black. He didn't say maybe if they were from my neighborhood. Maybe if they were from my community. Like his level of understanding that in order to serve Allah Azawajal, like in order to be a reflection of this concept of Allah being Al-Kareem, that there isn't anyone that Allah Azawajal is leaving out of the equation. There is not a single being that Allah Al-Kareem is leaving without his generosity. Even when shaitan comes to him and says, Allah, give me respite. Right? Allah in his generous mercy even listens to the request of shaitan. After he's flat out like disobeyed him, like the worst disrespect ever. Right? Like I let you in my Jannah. You've enjoyed like some of the highest levels of paradise, you have enjoyed like proximity to the angels. I give you one request and you have the audacity to be arrogant. And yet when Allah Azawajal tells him to bow down, he doesn't do it. And then he says, but oh Allah, even though I'm being obedient, disobedient, like still grant me this mercy. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even grants him that. So I'll give you respite to the end of time. That's what you want, take it. So when I think about this generosity from Muhammad Ali, and that's actually one of what I've heard of thousands of stories as it relates to him, Allah yurhamahu. I think about us and our state, right? That during these days of Ramadan, we are, we are bombarded with all the hadith, all the narration. You know, one of them is that, you know, uh, was mentioning about our sins and our transgressions and that we're all guilty of sins, subhanAllah. And so the Prophet وسلم, said that if you do something bad, do something good to replace it, to wipe it out, right? That if, you know, if we want to be uh, concerned about the Ummah, that the Prophet وسلم, said the Ummah is one body, right? And if there's one portion of the Ummah that's sick, the entire body is up with fever. That the Prophet that you don't even have iman, like sound iman, until you love for your brother, what you love for yourself. Allah Azawajal tells us, like, if you can pray by yourself and you're going to get one reward, right? But if you pray in the jama'ah, you might get from 27 to 70 plus the reward, right? That if you, um, subhanAllah, like all of these uh incentives for understanding our concern for humanity. So much that even in Ramadan, right? You're not gonna end this month. You can't celebrate AIDS until you give 
in charity to someone else, until you give some tangible evidence that your heart has been touched with true compassion, until you give some tangible evidence that says, right, that I now understand that my own personal ibadah, my own personal fasting is not just for me, but that it moved my heart to think about the suffering and the hunger and the thirst and the, the those who are affected by floods and earthquakes. Like until my heart is moved by that, right? If you get to the end and it hasn't happened, then Allah says, you're going to at least pay your zakat al right? You're going to pay. You got to give to someone else. Like if the Prophet had just said, you know what? Like there are many prophets who will come in the day of judgment. Some of them have many. Someone has, some have 10, some have five, some have one, some have no followers. If the Prophet said, you know what? Me and Khadija, we good. Right? Me, Khadija, Ali, Ibn Abi Talib, like these people in that close proximity, like the people I love, like right here, keeping it in my family, we good. Like going out and actually fighting for like the rights of Bilal and Barakah and this, you know, Hifad Fudul. And I, I got to, you know, stand up for the women and the children and the orphans and the animals and the earth. Like that's a lot of work. He could have said, that's, you know, that's a lot of work. Like, you know, I got the keys. He could have said to like, for me and my family, I got the keys to Jannah. Like, we're good. And yet that was never part of our deen, ever. That Subhan and Khanik, from the beginning, Allah Azza wa Jal let us know that this is something, right? This is something that is meant for all. That the Prophet is known as Rahmatan he's known as the mercy to mankind because he wasn't selfish and who he delivered the message to. And when I say the message to, not just those, like he went and gave some like religious advice. No, no, the true message. Then a message of kindness and mercy and generosity and compassion, the message of humanity. That in reality, subhanAllah, if we were to look at the Prophet before the rules of deen ever came, before the rules of salah came, before the rules of fasting, before the rules of hajj, there was a code about humanity. There was a code about humanity comes before religiosity. Before you get into the rules and the thick and what you do with your body and what you, you know, what you wash before, you know, you wash your right before your left and the this and that. Before all of that, he was concerned about the women, the children, the orphans, the racism, the ageism, the elders. He was concerned about the people. How can I lift the stone off your chest, the foot off your neck? Hey, how can I uplift you out of poverty? Even if it's just to just to stand with you and said, you're starving. I got two rocks to my, I got two rocks tied to my stomach too. Even if it's just about I stand with you, even when I have another choice, when I have other options. So for us, our dean was never selfish. That was never part of la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And so with that being said, inshallah, as we go to break our fast, my colleagues, Allah, preserve them and continue to elevate their rank and ennoble their faces. Is that subhanAllah, they've already mentioned, right? They've already told you. They've even quoted the links for you. They're in the chat. Like, whether it's India, whether it's the end to domestic violence, whether it's to support community, the way that it should, you know, the way that it, what community should feel like, whether it's to support giving relief to those of COVID-19, whether there are other campaigns that you know. I, I want us to think about not only the money, what can you do? What can you do? Like, what is it that you can actively, and each and every one of us has some kind of talent, has some kind of gift that Allah Azza wa Jal gave us. I think even if it's just, subhanAllah, you're like, I have the ability to write letters. Write letters to Muslim prisoners. 
right? Write letters to Muslim women who are prisoners who hardly ever get responses. Many of you are like, what, they're Muslim women in prison? Yeah, there are plenty of them. For a number of offenses, all worthy of redemption. Hey, you could write a letter. You could start a campaign. You could cook food, donate it. There are a number of things. Deliver food to someone who's elderly. Go visit them in the nursing home. If you're a parent, I can't tell you enough. Like that was the biggest impact. I think my parents taught me many things. But the fact that on a regular basis, we visited the nursing homes and would have to sit with those who were elderly when even as a when I was probably Medina's age and she's watching her father, mashallah, do so much service for so many people who's constantly Imam Khalid, Allah preserve him, always asking, is there anything I can do for you? Right. Let me know if there's any way that I can be of service, any way you need help. Right, that she's watching her father be like that. So of course she's giving up that swing. I don't expect anything less of her, Allah preserve her, right? And subhanAllah, I just think about my parents taking me to nursing homes. I can remember their faces and their names and things that they would tell me. And just how, you know, I'd ask my parents, what do I do? Just sit there and be with them, listen to them, let them tell you stories and mostly remember them. Be a witness to their life. Sometimes I can think about even in the case of the Rohingya refugee camps, there's this one woman who's kind of following us. She wasn't like following us, like she wasn't asking for anything. Um, and then finally I was like, you know, this, I, you know, the camera hasn't turned on her. She wants to know, you know, she's here for a reason. Let's talk to her, like that one, ignore her. And so when I asked her, she told me her name. She told me her story. She told me that she was, you know, basically her entire family had been wiped out. She had to be about 70. Like her husband, her children, she had no one. And she was just kind of wandering through this refugee camp. And I remember at that moment, just after listening to her and hearing her story and hugging her frail body where I could feel her bones, I just remembered how the smile on her face and the look in her eyes of just saying, you were a witness to my life, that you were a witness that I was here. That's what service is about. It says that I see you and I don't see you as a charity case. I don't see you as someone beneath me that I've got to throw my pity on. I don't see you as an opportunity. I just see you. I just see you for no other reason than Allah Azawajal saw us and commanded us just to be a witness for each other. That says you're worthy. You're worthy of whatever I can give. Time, a smile, phone call, delivery of something, whatever, whatever it is I'm capable of. You're worthy of that. And so I just say that, you know, the light of service, the light of khidmah, of course it removes the bad deeds in our book. That's the kindness of Allah. Of course it elevates our rank. That's the kindness of Allah. Of course it uplifts our souls. It makes us feel better and removes us from the selfishness of always thinking about our own problems and our own insecurities. Yes, it brings you closer to taqwa because it increases humility in you. And it should increase in gratitude in you. So yes, it's going to do all of those things. But more importantly than our own religious or spiritual benefit, it's time that we just see each other and say, I am a living witness to your value, to your life, that you matter. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you so much, Sheikha. And thank you all for joining us this evening. Um, please do donate to one of the many causes that we are helping support right now, uh, whether it's our launch good to help um, those who are suffering, you know, from this terrible COVID-19 pandemic in India, 
uh, or those who are in need of relief in our own community here in New York or to help end domestic violence. Um, there are so many different ways that you can donate. Um, and then we ask that you give whatever it is that you're able to. Um, if you have any questions or need anything, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Um, and please do donate to our Islamic Center if you are able to as well. Assalamu alaikum. If you would like to listen to more, please donate to www.icnyu.org donate. For more of our virtual programs, go to www.icnyu.org classes. If you have any questions, email us at info at icnyu.org.